Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, where each week, Dr. Frank Domino, along with his guests, translates today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. Now, broadcasting from the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Mass., your host, Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. KR's mother, Ellen, is a 73-year-old female with history of hypertension. She's always taken excellent care of herself, stayed fit, didn't smoke, but has recently been diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment. Today we're going to discuss what we can do to possibly help her. Hi, this is Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, and joining me today is Robert Baldor, professor and senior vice chair in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thanks, Frank. Great to be back. Thank you. Well, um, we're going to continue our discussion around the American Academy of Neurology's guidelines on mild cognitive impairment, and we have Ellen here who has recently um, been diagnosed. Can you talk a little bit about how screening and diagnosis should be done? Certainly our last segment we went into that quite a bit and I just want to remind people that the guidelines call for use of a validated instrument for screening, something like the MOCA or the Mini Mental Status Exam, but that's a screening instrument so if you have a patient who fails that they really should undergo formal uh, neuropsych testing just to sort of uh, get a sense as to uh, uh, is this a real diagnosis or, or not. So that's, that's a key uh, piece of what needs to be done. Thanks, Bob, for that. Can you remind us a little bit about what are the secondary causes of mild cognitive impairment and how we should consider working that up? Well, that's a good point because I think a lot of it we're worried about, uh, uh, about this being a, a dementia or an aging process. That's not the case. But clearly, uh, when you do have somebody who has a mild cognitive impairment, the first thing you want to look for is what medications they're on that may be causing some cognitive impairment for them. That's number one. Are there things that may be clouding, the, uh, clouding their ability to think straight, so on, or memory? And can you wean them off of them? Can you take them off those meds? The second thing is the two biggest issues that relate to this from a medical perspective are uh, sleep. And folks who have difficulty with sleep uh, are going to then have problems with their cognitive function the next day. It's pretty clear that that's out there. The other one is depression. So folks that are depressed, they're going to have problems with cognitive impairment as well. So those are the things you need to think about before really starting to worry about dementia or, or, or something else going on. And uh, going after that, those can be correctable. About 15% of those with, who've been diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment over the age of 65 will go on to develop dementia, 15%. The other 85% will stay static or improve so we want to have as many people improve as possible, and that's attending to those, those issues. Well, that's, that's really interesting. I think uh, most of us think of dementia as sort of a terminal diagnosis, but it's great to know that there are uh, alterable risk factors or secondary causes like sleep, like anxiety, like depression, that we should probably get a little bit more aggressive about um, treating. And I really like the thought that we need to look at the medications we use, especially in seniors. Polypharmacy is a huge issue, and we probably cause problems uh, that, that can appear as dementia. All right, well, let's say we've, we've, we've screened them, we've diagnosed them, we've eliminated the possible secondary causes, we've done a workup to look for B12 and thyroid dysfunction, and it looks like the person has mild cognitive dysfunction. Um, what are the 
pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic approaches that the guidelines support? Well, I will um, say that was the most surprising thing for me was the, the, what, what they were saying in their, in their conclusions. And they, um, they actually, just, just to go to this first, and then I'll come back around, it says clinicians may choose not to offer cholinesterase inhibitors. If offering, they must first discuss the lack of evidence for efficacy. So that was fascinating uh, to hear that. Wow. So, so even before we begin, they make the use of cholinesterase inhibitors as something that's optional based upon its limited database. Yeah. Clearly for, for mild cognitive impairment, there's just no evidence out there uh, to support that. So, you know, although there are no treatments uh, for cognitive uh, uh, impairments in, in mild cognitive impairments, there's still other things that can be done. The other thing they recommend, interestingly enough, is exercise. And so, um, so looking at the recommendations, they say, you know, long-term studies are unavailable, but six-month studies have actually shown a benefit from twice-weekly exercise programs. So uh, getting people, and I constantly talk to people about exercise and getting out and moving for a whole host of things. And here's just another reason to be out there. And if you're worried about dementia in your family or you're worried about your memory or whatever, another reason to get out there and get active twice a week. You know, I think it's uh, not an unreasonable thing to be thinking about. When I think about the social isolation that seniors develop um, and trying to get them more integrated, um, I would love to think that you could take a senior and recommend they join a group that does exercise two, three times a week and, you know, you, you address two issues with one very healthy and simple intervention. So that's great. Exercise as a first approach. Other thoughts? Well, there is a recommendation for cognitive interventions. So what are cognitive interventions? And, and some of this is there's uh, some data out there that there's, there's various learning strategies. Some of it is to minimize um, one's uh, 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 ability to sort of function, thinking a little bit about what are the tools you can be using to help you think better, to organize your thoughts. Should you be taking notes? Uh, should you be using pictures uh, to be thinking about things from that perspective? And, you know, the data out there is a little, um, that, that's probably helpful for people to function, probably not improving, but it helps them to function better. Uh, the other thing, there are some evidence out there for repeatedly practicing cognitive skills so that you retrain your brain. And the data from there really comes from folks who've had traumatic brain injury or post-stroke. And, and those folks seem to respond to really repeated cognitive skills. So you're almost re-memorizing something. Less so here, but people have recommended it as something that people can do. You know, there's lots of tools out there, uh, different apps you can use on, on your smartphones and so on. Not a lot of data out there to show that they're, that they're bene beneficial um, uh, with it, but it is something that uh, people you know, want to be doing something. This is something to try and to, to, to work with those memory-enhancing tools uh, and uh, types of uh, apps and, and, and uh, programs that are, that are there. So I, I think that's very interesting. I like the idea of notes and pictures. I actually have a patient who does this, who has posted by the door to her house a sign that says, don't forget your keys and know where you're going before you leave. And I, I think it, as she told me this, and I thought that was fantastic. I do find it fascinating that for at least the last few years, we've had a fair number of uh, advertisements for uh, web-based and, and phone-based tools to try to prevent dementia. And, and it's, it's been at least somewhat reassuring to see that doing Sudoku and doing crossword puzzles are great, but they don't necessarily stave off the, 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 the syndromes associated with dementia. Yeah, it is frustrating because I do all those myself and uh, <laughs> can you do the go with it. So I want to just talk a little bit about uh, medications. And we, we talked about the uh, 
acetylcholinase inhibitors. But what's really interesting in this guideline is they went through all kinds of uh, uh, recommended therapies that have been out there to sort of say, is there evidence out there to support this? And so they're saying, uh, you know, these are probably, so again, the acetylcholinase inhibitors, probably ineffective uh, in reducing progression to dementia. That's basically the language that they're using here. But what about flavonoid-containing drinks, right? Lots of flavonoid-containing drinks. They said, well, you know what? Insufficient evidence to support or refute the cognitive benefits uh, from a drink with high-dose uh, flavonoids. So, you know, no data to support that. What, what's a drink that's high in flavonoids? Well, that would be my daily glass of wine, so, Frank. So, so wine, there's no evidence to support or refute <laughs> so the So I'm drinking. Of How about that's fine. <laughs> And one, one, one glass, uh, one glass uh, a night probably is the best thing to do for that. Homocysteine um, uh, and, and B vitamins, again, insufficient evidence to support refute the use of homocysteine-lowering therapies with, with B vitamins. Um, it's really, it, it's, it's, just, it's just interesting as they go through. Vitamin E, possibly ineffective for reducing uh, uh, progression, and, and, and so on. So, so in many ways, it's a little sad that we don't have something that can be helpful for our patients, something we can't prescribe or recommend for them, um, you know, from a pharmacologic point of view, because patients come in and they want us to write a prescription, and that's a lot of what I do. On the other hand, it's really helpful to have this evidence and this guideline saying, don't put people on these medications, because it's really not going to be not going to be benefiting them. Instead, getting them out there, getting them exercising, getting social interaction, keeping them, um, you know, uh, keeping them moving. Bob, this is, while, as you say, this guideline um, didn't find great evidence for treatment using pharmacologic agents, it gave us a clear direction on what we should be doing with regard to exercise and other cognitive interventions. And I think that's, uh, the benefit there is huge and something that we as, as primary care folks need to, to really respect. Thanks for bringing this forward today, Bob. Thanks. Pleasure being here, Frank. Practice pointer. After you make the diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment, the two most effective methods to slow the progression to full dementia are exercise twice a week and cognitive interventions like at reminding the patients to take notes and use pictures to help guide their activities. Join us next time when we review the CASEL AF trial, which looked at using catheter ablations on our patients with heart failure and atrial fibrillation. This trial found an improved mortality rate by this aggressive treatment with very little adverse effects. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. For more information about the article referenced in today's episode, look under the resources section of the episode landing page. Need help reaching your CME credit goal this year? If so, please browse the more than 300 free CME accredited activities now available on PrimeMed.com. Thank you again for listening.